0: Okay, so Matthew chapter 1, we're going to be looking at a couple different passages this evening, um, which is a little bit different from what we usually do here. Usually we just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible, but I just want to look at the Christmas story, maybe from a unique lens tonight. Um, Matthew chapter 1, tonight's message is entitled, The Inconvenience of Christmas, The Inconvenience of Christmas. and. You know, Christmas, of course, is a very exciting time for many people, uh, especially I think the children. Of course, they look forward to it. Uh, they'll probably start counting down after tomorrow for next year's Christmas, um, and it is in our society. It's probably the, the most uh, at least celebrated holiday uh, where people gather together and, uh, like we are this evening or in their homes, uh, but it's also a very stressful time for many people. It's a time of Uh, big inconvenience. Whether it be simple things like long lines, those of you who've tried to maybe go to Walmart recently, good luck. Uh, A busy traffic, there just seems to be people coming from I don't know where. You're trying to get to the same place and it usually takes you five minutes. Now it takes you 15 minutes. Uh, Or if you're in a larger city, then you might be looking at an hour for a 10-minute drive. Uh, The expense of everything, we know that Typically, uh, there's more money spent at this time of the year, and so retailers, of course, are hoping to make a little extra money, but that's coming from someone's wallet, and that's usually ours. Uh, But it's also a very difficult season for many. It's a reminder of the past, a reminder of maybe things or people who we used to have in our life and the seasons that we used to celebrate with those people. And so uh, many people in this season are alone. Uh, We just talked a couple weeks ago about... Uh, folks in nursing homes, 50% of people in nursing homes don't receive any visitors besides staff. That's just in our nursing homes. And so this type of season, it it brings to remembrance a lot of difficult memories, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of smells of regret, things that we wish maybe we would have done differently as we think about our life and where it's led. As we look at our text, Matthew chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 18, we're going to see that Christmas has always been an inconvenience. In fact, Aaron read a little bit of that inconvenience already for us this evening. Uh, But the first person that I want to point out here is is Joseph uh, in verses 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. And then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. From the very beginning, this announcement of the angel to Joseph, who is betrothed to Mary, uh, just smells of inconvenience. And what do I mean by that? Well, it has already the stigma of an illegitimate child. In fact, that's what Joseph thought at the beginning. These two were betrothed and that In that day, that was in a way similar to what we would refer to as engagement, though it was much more binding. Uh, Typically, a betrothal would be uh, witnessed by multiple people. There would be a contract, and the only way to get out of it was either by death, at which point the remaining person would be considered a widow or a widower, or typically sexual sin, in which case there would be uh, a divorce literally taking place. Now, the Old Testament actually stated that if this uh, person who was supposed to be a virgin was found not to be, that she should be stoned. But by the time that Jesus was born, uh, Rome was in power and so the Jewish people had lost the ability to perform uh, the stonings, if you will. So we see here that Joseph is a just man. He wants to follow the law and he's ready to cut cords with Mary because he believes that obviously A plus B equals C, right? (laughs) she's showing, she's pregnant, I don't know what she told him, I assume she must have explained something to him, I mean that's something that you kind of have to explain to someone, though I don't know that he believed her, because at this point in our text, he's ready to call it quits, but he's ready to do it secretly, he doesn't want to make it a public showing, it tells us of the character of Joseph. But here's the catch, after the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph, notice that he changes his mind. And he follows what the Lord instructs him. In fact, the Lord gives him good news. This child will save us from our sin. Isn't that good news? That's the, the good news of Jesus Christ given to Joseph before this baby is even born. And here's what's significant about this. The very last verse that we read, verse 25. Of course, he did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, showing us that it was a virgin birth, that she had never been intimate with Joseph before. But notice it says, he called his name Jesus. See, it was the, it was the parent, it was the husband, and the, ultimately the father's duty to name the child. And so by naming this child Jesus, Joseph was basically, in a sense, becoming his adoptive father. And he was fulfilling that role. And so he took that role as an adoptive father. And this was not an easy role to to carry in this day and age that they lived in. And so it was definitely something that Joseph would have to deal with time and time again as he would encounter people knowing this is not this man's son. And yet he took full responsibility for Jesus to be his earthly father. Next we will look in Luke chapter 2. Uh, Aaron actually had mentioned a lot about Mary, uh, so we will see this from Luke's account. Luke chapter 2, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. We're just going to be looking in Matthew and Luke just a couple times, both of them, this evening. Luke, of course, gives us the account of Mary as well as Joseph here. Luke 2 verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And just with your finger there, this is very significant because we know from the Old Testament, which is the first half of your Bible, more than the first half of your Bible, we were told that, this, that the Messiah would ultimately be born in Bethlehem. So what's significant is that God uses pagan uh, Roman Empire to have this census to actually cause them to leave Nazareth and to go down to Bethlehem so that the Messiah would be born there because it was prophesied. This is where he would be born. Verse 5. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, what Aaron read to us was very uh, specific. It was very graphic. It was very detailed of what it must have been like for Mary and Joseph to be in this situation. The text just kind of glides along and just gives us the bare bone minimum. But we can use our mind's eye to imagine some of these things. Of course, we understand that Mary was merely a teenager at this point, probably around 13 or 14 years old. I don't know if we have any 13 or 14 year olds in here. But can you imagine giving birth to the savior of the world at that young age? How God entrusted his son to this woman, this girl uh, who is just becoming a woman really. Now what's significant though about this is that she would forever bear the stigma of having a bastard child out of wedlock. See this was not a society that celebrated birth outside of marriage. There was no uh, sitcom or shows 16 and pregnant in these days, right? Rather, in this society, if you got pregnant out of wedlock, this was a shame. It was a shame on you, personally. It was a shame on your family, on your parents. In fact, many parents would disown the person. Uh, And so this was something that was societal. It was ingrained within them. And we actually see as Jesus later on, some 30 years later, in John 8, 41, when he's debating the religious leaders, they state, we were not born of fornication implying that all those years later, Jesus' story of being an illegitimate son carried along with him. And he carried that stigma all of his life of not being a legitimate child. Isn't that something? That the Savior of the world bore that stigma. You know, we heard Philippians chapter 2, that he, he emptied himself, he came in the likeness of man in the form of a bondservant. But even in that likeness of man, he came as the lowest of men, as someone illegitimate, not worthy to be called even a man in that sense. Not only does she bear the stigma of having an illegitimate birth, but when she's ready to pop, we saw that she traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem. This is roughly 90 miles. Now, I cannot speak for the women in this room, but I've been there during childbirth. (laughs) And I've driven the car during childbirth, and I can remember driving the car, the pouring down rain, and my, my, my poor wife going through what she was going through. Guys, we have it so easy, right? And the pain of just, just the simple bumps in a car, having to be very careful how I turned into the hospital parking lot because of the labor pains that she was going through. Can you imagine being so-called horseback for no, almost 90 miles no epidurals in those days, right? I think the guys sometimes we feel like we need an epidural, right? But the women the women needed that epidural and yet there was none. And then when she gets there, there's no room in the inn. Now, as I think about this situation, she's following God's will. She's in God's will. And she gets there, and if, if I put myself in her shoes, I'm thinking, you know what? I'm carrying the Savior of the world right now. Man, there must be a place ready for us. They probably got it all decked out, you know. When we get there, I know the angels probably went ahead of us, and they prepared the way so that when we get there, you know, there's probably a nice crib waiting and a, maybe a place for me to give birth. But there's none of that. There's none of that. And when she gets there, she's literally given an animal stall. And as Aaron mentioned, the smells that must have been present. And and those of you who have been pregnant, again, the smells are something that's not always pleasant when you're getting ready to give birth. And so she's dealing here with animals and the smells. And this stable, it was an animal stable. It was either next to the inn or as most of Christian history says, it was probably a cave. Uh, Justin Martyr, who was an early uh, church father, believes that it was a cave. Uh, Today, there's actually, I believe, a church over top of what they believe could be the area where Jesus was born. But either way, he was born with animals present, with more uh, animal feces around than anything else, probably Uh, not a very pleasant place to be. No doubt an inconvenience for Christmas, especially for Mary as she gave birth to the Savior we continue in our text, chapter 2, verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. I think I would be afraid, right? Just think about when someone walks up behind you, and you didn't realize they were there, and they startle you. And these guys had been out in the, in the fields, it's dark, you know, there's no city lights like we have today, and they're out there in the dark, they're used to it, they do this day in and day out, evening they have different shifts, and these are rough and tumble guys, hard-working blue-collar guys, and all of a sudden you just have the expanse opening up and an angel appearing before you in bright light. Wouldn't that terrify you? Every time we see people encounter angels in this way, they're always terrified. And yet, these are angels. And then, verse 10, The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. I just want to note in verse 12, we see the sign that's told them, you will find this babe wrapped in swaddling claws lying in a manger. In other words, this is the only baby in all of Bethlehem <laughs> that's lying in a food, an animal trough. Every other baby is somewhere safe and secure and in warm and in a nice environment. This is the only baby that you'll find actually in an animal trough. That's how you'll know that you found the, the Savior of the world. Isn't that something? That that's the sign? Look for an animal trough. You know, I can imagine them getting into Bethlehem and saying, you know, here we are, we're looking for the Savior of the world, and people pointing them to the nicest of inns. No, we're, we're, we're looking for an animal trough. That's what we want. Crazy. And these rough and tumble guys, hard-working men, Who watched over sheep? Which, by the way, were possibly sheep that would be used for temple sacrifices. We don't really know for sure, but there there is quite a possibility that these very lambs that they were tending would be then slaughtered for the sacrifices to the temple. And these men took off from their job to go and see this baby that was proclaimed to them by the Lord. If we'll turn real quick, this will be our last text tonight. We'll look at Matthew chapter two. So we'll go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. And as we look at chapter 2, now some time has passed since Jesus was born. Typically when you see a picture of a manger, you see, of course, uh, Mary and Joseph and the baby. Uh, you might see the shepherds and some sheep. And there's always those three guys, right? The wise men. Uh, but there's some, most likely been some time past since Jesus was actually born. But we usually include this in the Chris, uh, Christmas narrative. Matthew 2.1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them that the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring him back to me, that I may come and worship him also." Then that being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, which we know later because he was actually setting them up. He's trying to kill this child. They departed from their own country another way. We see here these wise men, and these men are kind of shrouded in mystery. There's not a whole lot known about them. Of course, you'll hear people say the the kings. Uh, A lot of times people will say there were three of them because they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But the text doesn't even tell us that. We don't know how many men there were. Most likely they came in a caravan because in those days it was very dangerous to travel. Even with three people, that's sort of a small group of people. But most likely these were dignitaries from the east. The question, though, that many people ask is how in the world did they know about this savior, this king of the Jews? And there's different uh, theories on this. I believe one of the most prominent ones, there was a, a quasi-prophet in the Old Testament named Balaam. And in Numbers 24, 17 through 19, we see Balaam prophesying of this coming king of Judah. And so most likely these people knew at least the prophecies of this man named Balaam. And so they see this, what they perceive to be a star, and they follow the star, and it leads them to Jerusalem, to Herod, who is presently the king uh, of, of that area. And when they get to, to Herod, notice, though, in verse uh Three, his response. Notice that it states he was troubled, wasn't he? But it wasn't just him that was troubled. It was all of Jerusalem with him. And the question I think we have to ask, why were they troubled by this news? And I think the simple answer is that Jesus presented a challenge to them, didn't he? Because, see, if Jesus is the king of the Jews, then what does that make Herod? And so for for Herod, Jesus becomes a great inconvenience. Because, in other words, Jesus is going to take his place. He's an inconvenience for Herod. He's an inconvenience for Jerusalem. He's an inconvenience for these men who traveled who knows how many miles from the east just to see this child and worship him. And in the Orient, in the East, bowing down before him was such a sign of reverence and respect. And for these grown dignitaries to bow down before a baby, this is unheard of. And so it was an inconvenience for the wise men. It was an inconvenience for Herod. It was an inconvenience for all of Jerusalem. But it was also an inconvenience for the chief priests and scribes. Remember, what does Herod, he asked them, where will he be born? Do they know where he's going to be born? Doesn't the text tell us that they, quote, right away, they know exactly where he's going to be born? He gathered all the chief priests, scribes of the people, and inquired where the Christ would be born in verse 5. So they said to him, where? In Bethlehem of Judea. And then they quote the scriptures. These scribes, these religious leaders in the day, knew exactly where the Messiah would be born. Do you realize that they are merely about six miles away from Jerusalem to Bethlehem? Six miles. And yet they did not go to seek after this king, did they? You have these pagan, or at least these Gentiles traveling from the Far East, who knows how many miles to behold this child. And the religious leaders of the day who knew, quote, the Bible, wouldn't even go six miles to see him. He was an inconvenience. But dare I say, as, as our brother read earlier, the greatest inconvenience of Christmas was not for Mary or Joseph, it was not for the shepherds who had to leave their flocks. It wasn't the magi, the three wise men, or whatever you want to call them. It wasn't Herod or Jerusalem or anyone else. The greatest inconvenience of Christmas was Jesus Christ. Because in Christ, we have the infinite, glorious, Holy One of Israel, who has always dwelt outside of time, space, matter. The infinite God. <laughs> The creator of every single thing. Who is eternal. We can't even grasp our minds around that, right? I cannot grasp eternity. My finite mind just is, it's too little. Maybe you can, I can't. And this immeasurably powerful and wise God who designs everything from the solar system and the sky and the stars. The same star that these wise men followed. Everything. He's creator and sustainer of all life, we know. In fact, he's even the creator of the body that he would inhabit. And he enters into this teenage girl's womb, and he's born a helpless babe. And he's laid in an animal trough amongst animals. There's more animals probably than people witnessing the birth of the Savior of the world. Can you think of anyone who is more inconvenienced for Christmas than Jesus? I sure can't. There was no room for him in the inn. He's the savior of the world. You think there would have been room for him, right? And he was the only baby in, the, in Bethlehem that you would find in an animal trough. He was, the teenage, he, he was the son of a teenage unwed mother and adopted by a father that was not biologically his. We know from a future offering that they will be a poor family because when they offered the offering at the temple, they offered turtle doves, which was the offering for those who didn't have money for the more proper offerings. Joseph himself was what the Greek calls a tekton. He was a worker of his hands. We would refer refer to him as a carpenter typically, but he he was a hard blue-collar worker. He he didn't live a life of luxury. He, He worked with his hands, and Jesus, as the oldest son, would have followed in his father's trade. We refer to him as a carpenter, and the text, Joseph sort of disappears later on in the Gospels. Did he pass away? We don't really know. But if he did, Jesus, as the oldest son, would have had to take on the family and be a leader amongst that family. He had a difficult life, even before his ministry at age 30. Think of the stigma that he endured for us. And he was also sought after to be destroyed, if you continue on in the text, because Herod actually has... Uh, the boys two years and the younger, killed because he's trying to destroy this child. He entered a world full of sin for which the angel told Joseph he would save his people from. See, the angels proclaimed the good news to Joseph, then to the shepherds. But the inconvenience was ultimately for the Lord, for the Savior of the world. And you know, as you think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, do you realize that his whole life would be an inconvenience? Even during his earthly ministry, he had no place to lay his head. In a sense, he was homeless during the three years of ministry. They would go different places, to and fro. But ultimately, this child was born to die. He came into the world to save us from our sin. Well, how would he do that? Well, he took the punishment that you and I deserve for our sin. He was born to die, and he died on a cross nearly 2,000 years ago. And a cross was not something to be glorified in. Please understand, you see people today wearing necklaces with crosses. You see us uh, uh, celebrating the cross. It would be like having an electric chair up here on the back of uh, the screen or the pulpit. It was, so, it was a sick way to die. That Roman citizens weren't even counted worthy to die. It was for criminals. But the bottom line is instead of God judging you and me for our sin, he judged his son. He treated him as he should treat us so that he could treat us as him. He, excha- he exchanged places with us as he died in our place. And it's a gift. Do you understand the, the nature of Christmas? As those wise men brought gifts to Jesus, do you realize he's the great gift? Because he's God's gift. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, right? That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, how does that happen? Well, again, he took our place on the cross. And the Bible says if you trust in the Savior, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, you believe that he died in your place, that he rose again from the grave, you shall be saved. But here's the catch here's the inconvenience of the gospel itself. See, remember it's a gift, right? It's a gift. In other words, God paid the price. There's nothing you can do to deserve it or earn it. It's a gift. He offers you forgiveness of sin. But here's the inconvenience of that gift. Some gifts are an inconvenience because it causes us to acknowledge inconvenient facts. Let me give you a quick example. If someone was to give you a book, let's say, on how to lose weight, If you receive that book on how to lose weight, what are you acknowledging? (laughs) Number one, that person has some nerve, right? (laughs) But the bottom line is this. Here's the gift. How to lose weight and feel great. By receiving that gift, I acknowledge I'm overweight. See, there's an inconvenience to that gift. It's been given to you. But there's an acknowledgement of something about it that's true. And here's what the gospel does. It forces me to acknowledge that Jesus died for a reason. And that reason wasn't his own. See, he didn't die for his own sin. He died for ours. So the inconvenience of the gospel is that by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, number one, you're acknowledging I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Because only sinners need a Savior. Number two, remember Herod. What was Herod afraid of this child for? See, Herod was king, but he realized if this, son, if this child lived on, this, this child would be king. And so Herod realized there can't be two kings, right? <coughs> Therefore, he tried to extinguish the one. See, the other inconvenience of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is king. And to receive him as savior is also to receive him as Lord, as king. And therefore, guess who can't be king anymore? See, I can't be king anymore. If he's Lord, I allow him to be king and ruler over me. And so this is the inconvenience of the gospel of Jesus Christ, admitting that I'm a sinner, that I've fallen short of God's glory, that I've sinned, I've lied, I've stolen, I've... I've looked with lust. I've coveted what wasn't mine. I've used God's name as a curse word. I've done all these things that are wrong, and I realize I need a Savior, and I realize also that this Savior happens to be King and Lord. My question for you tonight is, have you received the gift that God has for us in this baby that we're celebrating, who would ultimately become the Savior of the world? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior tonight? I pray that you won't leave here without making that decision. And it's a big decision, right? Don't, make it, don't take it lightly. If you have any questions, I would absolutely love to answer them about Jesus Christ. I'll make sure that I'm available for you after the service. But this is something that you can do in your own heart. This is something that you can do privately and then let someone know publicly that you've decided that you are a sinner, number one, in need of a Savior and a King. At which point, Jesus fits the bill perfectly. So trust in the Lord this evening. Make this Christmas a Christmas that you will forever remember in receiving the gift of eternal life. God will not only forgive you of your sin, he will give you eternal life and he will give you a new nature, new desires. Everything will become new and it's a free gift in receiving the son. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you were willing to be inconvenienced for us, Lord. Your son left heaven and glory to come to this hell hole of a world. How I thank you, Lord, that, that he wasn't born in pomp, in pleasure, he came to the lowest. He was born of an unwed mother. He carried the stigma as a bastard child his whole life. He worked with his hands. There was no room for him. And he was laid in an animal trough by which the shepherds could identify him. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that this is the path that he chose. And that path led him to a cross that he willfully and joyfully carried for us, Lord. Father, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve Christmas, Lord. We don't deserve this child. And we don't deserve the risen Savior, but we thank you that you offer us this gift tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd make this gift real to our hearts. May we see your Son, who is now seated at the right hand, at the place of highest honor and glory, where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord to your glory. Father, tonight we ask and we pray that our knees and our hearts would be bowed before you to give you all the glory and all the honor that you deserve in Jesus' name. Amen.